Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Okay, before we jump in, I just want to let you guys know that I'm working with a new insurance provider. If you guys go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash insurance, you're going to be able to find out more. I started talking about insurance with my clients maybe a year or so ago, and I was so surprised, to be honest, when we started going through things and talking to people and they'd say, yeah, our healthcare in the United States costs us $22,000 a year. I was like, whoa, that is unbelievable. Actually, by being an expat, not only can you reduce your cost of living because your rent or your mortgage is less and and food is less and transport is less, but also your insurance is less. So if you guys go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash insurance, you're going to be able to find out what I'm talking about. They have worldwide coverage if you're an expat or a digital nomad, so you can actually travel with the insurance. It's going to cover you around the world, and you can probably expect to pay maybe a third, maybe a quarter of what you're paying now. And I mean, me and my family are on this program and we get inpatient, outpatient, full drug plan, zero deductible, dental, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's really like a platinum level plan and it's all included in this. So if you guys are living overseas, even if you have insurance right now, you might want to look at changing. I'm really stoked to be working with this company. And all you need to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash insurance. That's it. Okay, let's jump into today's interview. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest began his 3D printing exploration by becoming the operations manager for SD3D in early 2015. With over a dozen FDM machines and a few hundred clients, he was able to amass thousands of hours of successful print time while with the company. He now runs a growing YouTube channel and promotes his new 2022 edition of 3D Printing Failures book. Please welcome to the show, Sean Aranda. Sean, how are you? Doing well, Mikel. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I have to say, I'm really excited about this conversation. I think this is going to be an awesome one. Why don't we start by kind of getting into your backstory a little bit. How did you get into 3D printing? Why did you decide that you wanted to make this your career? I want to hear it all. Yeah, so I basically began because my best friend and my stepbrother started SD3D and they needed cheap labor and they couldn't really afford somebody with the full background. I don't have an engineering background. I'm very open about that, a business degree, which I don't really use, but they needed cheap labor and I was it. And so I had to learn from scratch when I started working for them how to run these printers. There's a lot more failures than 
you think by just seeing the advertising, you see, you know, a Kickstarter and they go, oh, this will work perfectly. Just hit this button. Basically no printers work that way, especially in 2015 when I started. So I really had to learn on the fly and there wasn't a ton of resources. There was maybe a few YouTube channels I really like to watch to help educate me. And then I'd refer to my, my best friend and stepbrother for help. But I feel like I kind of came into this with a different background. Both of them have engineering backgrounds and what might be intuitive to them wasn't necessarily intuitive to me. I just remember soldering wires of parts and they kind of laughed at how, how I was doing it because it just wasn't intuitive to me as it was to them. And so that's what kind of sparked me to realize there was a little bit of a gap in the market for at least manuals or books. And so I actually wrote my first edition, I believe in 2017, around the time I was leaving the company, just because I was doing other stuff. And I wrote it because at the time, I don't think there was a single 3D printing book on how to fix your printer or how to use it. Now there's quite a few, but that was kind of it. I saw a gap in the market. My goal was just to eventually pay for my rent. That was kind of my goal and then have other jobs. And it slowly picked up the book. So I started working on my YouTube channel a bit more, making tutorials. All of that started picking up more and more. And I figured, let's try to focus on this while I can. And that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm actually on my fourth edition of the book. Like you just said, I'll chill a little bit. So, I mean, I've slowly made it thicker, edited for new stuff. And yeah, my goal is to help somebody with any failure they have. That's why I call it 3D printing failures. I feel like I said, there's a lot of false advertising. You buy this maybe printer for your grandkid. They think it's just going to work perfectly after a couple of prints. They experience a failure and they don't know what to do. So this book, the goal is it has pictures. Do you have this failure? Go to this chapter. So it's kind of the goal. Well, preparing for this episode, I actually went online, found your book on Amazon, was going to buy it, and then realized this is way too technical for me. <laughs> I, to get ready for a podcast episode, I don't think it was the right option. But it's also very funny when you mention that you are not an engineer, but this is what you end up doing for a living. And I mean, it's the exact same situation with me. I deal with a ton of immigration and tax law, but I'm not a lawyer. I'm Never been a lawyer. I actually dropped out of high school when I was 12 years old, so I'm completely self-taught. It just goes to show you that there are different paths forwards. And you know, if you spend enough time and study and research and with the amazing internet and having resources out there, you can learn literally anything. I was on a presentation the other day and talking about how I had dropped out of school. And they said, hey, did you ever go back and do any schooling? I said, yeah, I took some Harvard law classes on my own time that were non-credited because I didn't care about the accreditation. I just cared about the knowledge and learning it. And it sounds to me like with you, with the studying, you must have watched a ton of engineering videos and a ton of different videos that would give you context on how to put these things together and to actually figure it out. Yeah, so I really like to call myself a technician because like I said, I'm not an engineer. I don't understand necessarily the thermal dynamics or properties behind a lot of this stuff, but if I see a failure, I know how to fix it just from watching these videos. And I think that makes me uniquely capable of explaining this to the average person who's buying a printer. Because like I said, my best friend, he's an extremely smart engineer and you know, stuff just comes intuitively to him that does not whatsoever to me. So I feel like I'm able to explain issues and problems from somebody who has no background in this, because I remember what it was like when you were in this situation, very confused. <laughs> well, that makes perfect sense because if you don't have the lengua on all of the technical terms, and you have to think of it just logically what makes sense or how you can use examples to be able to explain it to someone. Actually, that's a huge advantage because I have to say, 
there's probably millions of engineers in the world. And there's probably very few people who do what you do, who have your specialized thing and can translate these really complex ideas into something that the layman can understand. Yeah, that's the goal because I'm a layman or at least a former layman. And yeah, at least for educational purposes, you know, my best friend can build printers from scratch with just random parts. So, you know, he has skills that I certainly do not have, but I guess educating it to somebody, you know, if my goal is to make it so that a 14 year old just getting into 3D printing can understand what I'm talking about in the book. So, yeah, that's something I don't think he might be able to do quite as well. All right. So let's get into some of the differences in printers or say somebody, I, I'm going to save some of the really good stuff to later in the episode and we'll, okay. we'll put that after, but just let's start with some of the basic stuff that people need to know and understand if they want to get into 3D printing. Well, there's quite a few different forms of 3D printing, but there's two that are very common for consumers. The main one that I mostly deal with is called FDM, which is fused deposition modeling. It's probably what you're used to seeing when you see a 3D printer and melts plastic through a nozzle lays down a layer, raises up a little bit and lays down another layer, kind of like a hot glue gun continually moving up. That is the main type of 3D printers that most people know about. And like I said, that's what my book is really about is FDM 3D printing. What has becoming a lot more popular because of price reductions is called SLA, which I think is like stereo. I'm so bad at abbreviation, stereo, I can't remember, but you can also get those types of printers for the same price as the ones that are behind me, but you use liquid resin that cures via UV light. So they're kind of off camera, so you won't be able to see them, but it has a platform and it actually prints upside down. So the platform dips into the liquid resin. There's a laser light that cures the layer onto the build platform, and then it moves up a little bit and continues. Similar idea, upside down, curing liquid resin. Those types of printers are great for very, very high detail. They're very, you can do jewelry, any sort of small stuff, but they are, first of all, a pain to work with because you got to wear gloves and kind of the mess will get all over the place. And it takes a while to clean everything up when you're done. The other thing that holds it back is the strength properties of the materials. So most of those materials that you can get will be a lot more brittle. And especially because they cure via UV light. So if you leave them out in the sun for a while, they'll get kind of more and more brittle as UV cures it more and more. So I prefer FDM printing. There's quite a lot of different material types. Some are very easy to print. And there's a lot of new material types that are very easy to print and very strong. So it's getting exciting in that regard and inexpensive. So that's what's exciting about this whole industry is it's getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper every year. When I was working in 2015, the cheapest printer you can get was around $2,000. Now, a $200 printer is better than that $2,000 printer that I was using. So a lot of that has to do with patents expiring and then just more and more people entering the market and bringing the price down. But yeah, so getting into it, there's a lot of little technical stuff that can help with videos. I don't want to bore everybody, you know, what to do when you first get your printer. But you can start as little as actually $150. For a printer that will work and, you know, you may want to upgrade it as time goes on, but you can at least get into this hobby for very cheap and at least see if it's something that you might be interested in continuing doing. Well, that's what I like because there's a low barrier to entry. You can pick something up and then try it. Like, do you enjoy it? Do you think it's fun? Is it, you know, scratch an itch with you? The last thing you want to do is go out there, start a new hobby and it's $10,000 to get in. And it's like, well, I don't like this or, you know, it's not what I thought it was going to be. And usually the resale value of things 
is considerably less. And if you can get rid of it at all, otherwise it just ends up in the garage or in the basement or something. And that's like, it's not worth it at all. But at a couple hundred bucks, I think that's literally anybody can afford. All right. I have a question that's probably super noob. So how does it work? Okay. You get the printer, but how do you know what to build? Like, do you get plans? Do you download them off the internet? Do you have to have a book? Do you have to take a course? How do you actually know what to build? Or do you make things up? Like I just, I literally do not understand how this process works. First of all, you can design anything you, you'd like, but you, that does require designing background, CAD background. So you use something like Fusion 360 by Autodesk. That's a free software. There's Rhino, SolidWorks, a lot of different software programs out there. There's a learning curve to that. Obviously, you got to start slow and build your knowledge on that. Or there's online repositories of people who have uploaded their designs. Most of them are free. There's, there are paid ones, though. And it, you'd be shocked just how many designs are out there. The most common website, though a lot of the community isn't, doesn't really like the website because it has bugs, but it's called Thingiverse, like universe, but with the word thing. So thingiverse.com. And you'd be amazed. I, 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 there's probably hundreds of thousands, if not, I mean, so many designs. You could search and you see what other people have made. Anywhere from, you know, fun D&D Dungeons and Dragons pieces or comic book characters to actual mechanical parts that you may need. For instance, something as minor as like a, a washing machine knob. You can look up your exact washing machine. Somebody likely has already designed it. And then, like I said, worst case, if there isn't the exact design you're looking for, you can design it yourself. It just requires a bit of maybe YouTubing to teach yourself how to use one of these programs. So are you able to see any type of like reviews or how do you know that the thing that you're about to build from the plan that you've downloaded for free is actually like works or is legit or is actually going to function? Yeah. So, I mean, it depends on the website, but for instance, I'll, I'll use Thingiverse as the example because it's the most popular. They will say work in progress. Usually if it's something that they're, you know, they're still tinkering on more popular designs will have hundreds of comments on them and built and people who have built it. So if it's a popular design, people will post pictures of their build on it kind of just for fun. And so you can make sure it works that way. If you're downloading something a little more arbitrary, like I said, a washing machine knob that maybe other people haven't uploaded. Yeah. You do take a little bit of a risk that the designer designed it properly. That's why it's always best to design yourself, but there's a, at least you have a starting point to see. And worst case, most of these plastics are sandable. So if it's not exactly fitting, you're able, you can sand it a bit and usually get it to fit if you need. <laughs> okay. So we talked a little bit about where you get the plans and that you can get them for free and you can get the machine and it's not expensive. What about the actual plastic or the material that you're using to build? What is that worth or what does that cost then? Yeah, it does depend on which material because they can vary quite a lot. The most common material is called PLA, polylactic acid. It's like a plastic made out of corn. Uh, I'm a little confused by the way it's made, but the most basic form of PLA prints extremely easily and is very cheap. So it's roughly $20 a kilogram spool. And the problem is it's a bit brittle. So you don't necessarily want to do mechanical parts, but it's hard to explain, but I don't print a lot of knickknacks, but let's say you wanted to print a little figurine this big. I mean, it'll probably print a hundred of them without any issues, maybe more. But like I said, it's a little brittle. And then the other issue with PLA is the heat resistance. So it can only withstand 60 degrees or 55 degrees Celsius before it starts to deform, which I think is like around 140 Fahrenheit. 
So that means you can't leave it in a hot car on the dash. It'll start to deform. A newer type of plastic is PLA Plus or PLA Pro. It still has that heat problem, but it's mechanically pretty strong. And it prints just the same as regular PLA. And that's only about $24 a kilogram. So it's roughly the same price. That's kind of my preferred material because it's so cheap. It's easy to print. And it, the only issue is the heat resistance. That's actually, which we'll get into later, is the preferred material for 3D printed guns. So it is definitely strong enough to handle mechanical properties. It's just if you need the heat resistance. Then there's stuff like ABS, which is what Legos are made out of. And that has a much higher heat resistance, around 90 to 100 degrees Celsius. It's much harder to print. It requires an enclosure to trap the heat inside your printer because cold air will cause it to warp. And that's also like $24 a kilogram. So those are the basic materials. We get up higher. There's nylon materials, which are quite strong and have a bit of a bend to them. Those can range from very easy to print to very, very hard to print. And they range in price from anywhere like $40 a kilogram all the way up to, you know, $100 plus a kilogram, depending on, you know, there's a lot of different properties to nylon that it can have. And then I'll just throw one more out that's getting popular are carbon fiber blends. So there's like carbon fiber nylon is a very popular material that runs anywhere from like 80 to $150 a kilogram. So, you know, a decent amount more, but it is very easy to print. It prints very pretty and it's overall pretty strong with a good heat resistance. The issues are, like I said, the price and there's a couple upgrades you need to do your printer in order to make it run. And then from there, I don't want to get into every single one. There's a wide variety I mean, you can get all the way up to $300 a kilogram, but those materials are very rarely used by people. Amazing. So is there anything else that people need to know from the financial side, getting into this as a hobby? Like we covered the education, the prints, the machine itself and the material. Am I missing anything? Yeah, it would be if you're buying a $150 printer, it's going to work just fine for PLA and PLA plus. But if you want to use some of these, especially like a flexible, I didn't even mention those, there's flexible material options. That $150 printer isn't going to be able to print that without some upgrades. So, you know, I don't want to get into the nitty gritty, but just high level stuff. I just want to have a basic understanding of. Yeah, yeah. If you want to do this hobby consistently with a lot of different materials, you will probably end up spending around $150 in upgrades to your $150 printer. So you'll probably max out around $300 unless you want to get into really complex stuff. Then, you know, you could spend $2,000 on a printer that can print anything. Nice. All right. Why don't you show us what's on the table behind you? Because this is what I really want to talk about, but I just thought it's good to get some basics out of the way so we have some context here. Yeah. So I'll just let everybody know I'm really into the 3D printed gun community. I don't do the designs. I'm open about that. I'm, I kind of call myself PR. I just kind of uh, show people what's possible on YouTube. None of these designs are mine. So this is what's called the FGC-9. So this is the one that if anybody has seen news articles about, this is the one that was designed actually by mostly by a guy in Europe. So he was doing it very illegally. There's a documentary on him. He unfortunately passed, but so this is a gun that you could make entirely at home. So I will show, first of all, just so everybody knows I'm safe. There's no ammo in here. This gun is the white and teal parts that you see are 3D printed. So there is a barrel that's metal and there is a bolt that is metal. And then obviously screws and springs. The idea behind this gun was you can buy all of the parts off of something like AliExpress and have them delivered. 
And then the only things you need to know how to do at your house is it's a little confusing. They made it so that you can rifle the barrel at home. You shove a 3D printed part into the barrel that has the spiral design in it. Anybody who's not familiar with guns, you need rifling in order for the bullet to shoot straight. So it's not just a smooth inside. And to add that rifling, this was a kind of an ingenious thing that somebody figured out in the 3D printing community. You 3D print the spiral, you put it inside your bare metal tube, and you run what's called electrochemical machining. You run basically salt water through it, and it erodes the cavity that you printed inside and rifles the barrel for you. So people are making these barrels in in their bathtubs. The bolts just requires a minor amount of welding. So it still has a little bit of know-how on how to make, but the idea behind this was you can build this anywhere in the world without any gun parts. Nothing on here is considered a gun part when you originally buy it. And it's a semi-auto, so every every trigger pull will eject the bullet and get it ready again. And as you can tell, the magazine is also printed minus the spring, which was bought on AliExpress. So it is. this is the one that I'm most excited about, and I love it's, you know, obviously not as good as a regular gun. You can run into hiccups, which I certainly have. But there's, right now there's a, a military junta takeover in Myanmar, Myanmar. I'm bad at pronouncing it. And the rebels are actually building these. So <laughs> it actually is being used in real areas. And then the other one I show off, I have a few different ones. This is a fun one. This is what's called a meme gun. So there's kind of no purpose to it. But this one is what's called the 3011. Anybody who knows about the 1911, this takes all 1911 parts. So you can't build this anywhere. You have to purchase 1911 parts. And a guy just made it because he wanted to make fun of boomers who love 1911. So (laughs) it's really an ugly gun to anybody who likes guns. But like I said, this one, you can't make it your house. The parts are bought in America. They're very easy to be delivered to your house, but obviously elsewhere they're not. And, but even like the brace, this is all 3D printed with just some screws and springs. And yeah, I'm happy to talk more. I can let you know there's a few different types of 3D printed guns. I don't want to get too into the weeds and just keep talking, but. No, man, I love this. I think this is hilarious. So, all right. So first of all, you put rounds through these, yeah? Yeah, I actually have videos on my YouTube channel shooting both of these as well, so. And how'd they fire? Yes. So like I was saying, this one, I had a lot of, I actually have three videos of it not working on me and it ended up, it was a barrel issue, not my prints. So the thing is I bought my barrel because in America, like I said, it's easy. And the one I bought originally wasn't to proper specs. So that was the issue with all of my videos earlier on. And then, but yeah, no, this one ran great. I probably put 120 rounds through it or so, and it functioned near flawlessly. I think I had one jam, but it was easy to fix. And then this one I also shot and it ran perfectly. And this one gave no issues at all. But yeah, I might as well tell you now because I kind of showed two completely different types of guns. There are what's considered, I guess, like three categories of 3D printed guns. There's this type. All you're doing is printing the lower, the part that's serialized in America. All the other parts you're buying from gun manufacturers or gun retailers. And so the only thing you're doing is skirting the serial number on the lower So you can't build this anywhere in the world, you know, that sort of thing. This is what's called a hybrid design where it is, you can build it entirely at your house with regular parts, but it does require some extra skills like learning how to machine the barrel and it has metal parts in it. There's a third category that we call hundred percent 3d printed guns. And those are ones where all you need are screws and springs. 
And the, there's a lot of issues with the current designs of those. They usually only work for, you know, a couple dozen rounds if they work at all. So yeah, that's kind of a, uh, just give a little bit of a background there before people wonder what's the point if you still have to buy all the gun parts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So you mentioned serialing. What is it like for the legality of all of this, for the registration, for the licensing? Can you talk to me on that side at all for it? Yeah. So this is very specific to United States when it comes to legal. I'm pretty sure it's the only country you can do this. I'm not positive on that. It's always been legal in America to make your own guns. So that's always been true since even before the founding of the nation, you could always make your own guns and you don't need to register them. Now there is a caveat to that. If you live in, there's some States that added laws. So there's like, if you live in California, you have to serialize it. If you live in New York, you can't even own a gun. So you can't build a gun. Same with Chicago and, you know, probably DC, but you know, I live in Texas where there are no extra legalities in that regard. So if I build my own gun for personal use, that's the other thing. I can't sell or give these guns away. If I build my own gun for personal use, I do not have to serialize it. And if I live in Texas, like I do, I can order all of the gun parts either online, delivered to my house without any registration or go to a gun store and, and buy them there. And then just all I have to do is print that lower section and put all the parts into it. Yeah. So most places in America, it is completely legal to build either one of these guns either way you'd like. <laughs> That's amazing. What about at the range? Can you take those to the range or do you think the owner is going to say something and yeah, that's, that's actually a really good question. I don't like bringing attention to what I'm doing this, especially because I film myself. <laughs> You're so. a YouTuber. <laughs> I mean, this is going to get listened to by like 10,000 people. Like, I know I don't want to look like a TikTok star just filming <laughs> myself like, hey, so I, I'm very self-conscious about that. It would be smart to ask the range owner if you were doing this. Obviously, if you print a, a Glock lower in black, I mean, nobody would even know that it's 3D printed. I mean, unless you look at it closely. But it still would be smart. It's their private property to ask them if it's okay. Most will be okay unless you're at a very strict gun range. I've been to a few of those and they're not very fun. One shot every two seconds and it's very strict. But I personally go to a range. Well, there's somebody I know who has private property where we just shoot in his backyard. That's obviously he doesn't care. And then the other range I go to, it's completely wide open and they don't carry either. I prefer those because like I said, I set up tripods with cameras. I don't want to have people looking at me. I feel like a fool. So yeah, but it would be smart to ask a range owner, especially like an indoor range. I haven't shot one of these at an indoor range, but I know people who have, they just ask the range owner. Some of them are really into it. I mean, some of them watch sure. these videos on YouTube and think it's awesome and, and want to shoot it themselves. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's probably a good benefit if you can say, hey, I printed this. I want to try it out at the range. You can play with it too. You can have a couple goes like... I'd be stoked. I, I want to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to see it myself so that I can imagine other people feeling the same. I want to make sure and preface this for anybody thinking of doing this. First of all, make sure you're in America. I'm not trying to tell anybody to do anything illegal, but if you are building your own gun, you really want to make sure you have your printer working correctly before you print a gun. So it's like, you want to make sure you're not under extruding. So if there's too little plastic in your material, it could break. I've never seen a catastrophic failure where somebody gets hurt. It's usually like a little crack and it breaks and, you know, maybe a spring will fly out. Make sure you're wearing glasses. So make sure you have your printer tuned and you know what a good print looks like. So print other stuff first. 
Yeah. So make sure this is not your first project. Exactly. First time at the rodeo. Yeah. And the other very important thing is read the readme on any of these files. The only times I've seen actual failures that look bad were from somebody who didn't follow the instructions on the readme for the design. Most of these designs require 100% infill. They require you to print it on the build plate a certain direction. Yeah. So you want to make sure to follow the readme and not try to do your own thing and just print it the way you because th- these the all of these files have been tested before they're released to the public. They all have been tested for hundreds, if not thousands of rounds before they release it for the public to download. Okay. Okay, let's take a quick break. All right, guys, Expat International School, the new program that we put together with my buddy, Michael Strong. It is amazing. We actually have kids that are in the program right now and the feedback has been phenomenal. The kids are absolutely loving school. They're actually learning so much. They're making friends. This is not just a video course or something like that. No, it is extremely high touch. They have classes, 15 maximum kids, per group, we call them cohorts, and we have one guide for that. The program is unbelievable. Michael has over 30 years experience in the educational space. He comes from a Montessori background. He actually did curriculum design for Montessori. We're taking a lot of his ideas and we're putting them online together. And we're gonna tackle a lot of the problems that face expat and digital nomad families. So if you or your kids or your neighbors or your grandkids or your cousins, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, have kids ages eight to 19, then what I want you to do is go to expatschool.io and find out more information about the programs. If you're serious about this, then jump on a phone call with me, with Michael, with our team. Let's sit down. Let's discuss. We can answer all of your questions. We can look at the entire program. And if it makes sense, we will make an invitation for your family to join. I'm really excited about this. I've never been so pumped up about anything in my entire life. I think this could be the greatest thing I've ever done. The kids are in there right now. The program is up and running. Go to expatschool.io and find out more information. Okay, let's jump back into today's interview. All right, so two questions. You can take them in either order. First of all, just to 100% clarify, you've never seen or heard of any of these blowing up in someone's hand or taken off their finger or anything like that? No, I'm being honest. So I actually had, because of my barrel issue, I had what would be called, I guess, catastrophic failure on my last one. I actually have it in my recent video. It's called out of battery. It means that the round doesn't go all the way into the barrel and it still fires when you pull the trigger. And that it kind of causes like a bit of an explosion outward. And my hand was right here. And it just stung a little bit. And that, honestly, if an out-of-battery happens on a manufacturer, people have been seriously injured from out-of-batteries on guns you buy at a store. And mine held up fine. So usually they're in beta development when they have the big... But even then, I've never seen somebody actually injured more than maybe a cut on their finger. I don't want to speak out of turn. There may have been some that I haven't seen personally. But the cool thing about this is... There's beta groups in this. These people have been doing this for a while and they understand how guns function and they understand how 3D printing works and they all communicate with each other, giving each other tips on the design to make it stronger. uh, They run it through software where they go, they do a test and show where the weak parts are on the print will be. So maybe somebody out there has designed their own gun and and not known what they were doing and maybe printed it with 10% infill rather than 100% infill. 
and I just haven't seen it, but I have not seen anybody seriously injured for one of these. All right. Fair enough. I mean, I'm sure that's got to be one of the first questions on a lot of people's minds. So it's good to have like a pretty comprehensive answer on that. Yeah. Now we talked earlier about being able to get a lot of the plans for free on the internet. And then we said that some of the plans are charged. Are 3D printed guns, are they some of the charged ones? Or you can also acquire those online for free? There may be exceptions to this rule, but they are all free. It's kind of a um, mentality or a uh, mm-hmm. philosophy that these guys are a part of. It's called like the FOSCAD, which is a free open source. Like the community I'm most involved with is called Deterrence Dispensed. They're kind of rebranding to call themselves the Gatalog. But aside from that, you can't work with them unless you're releasing your files for free. So all of their files are 100% free after they've been beta tested by individuals. And, you know, there's a couple of different groups. There's a group called Aussie. And from my understanding, those guys are free as well, though I haven't really done a, a few of their designs. And yeah, that is their goal. Their goal is to make this not only free, but as easily accessible to anyone as possible. So they could print in more expensive materials and more expensive printers, but that is not their goal. Their goal is to print they want the testers to print this on the cheapest printer, which is called the Ender 3, and they want it printed with the cheapest material, which is PLA Pro, so that you can do stronger material and more expensive printers, but their goal is to get this to the masses. It's like I said, it's more of a philosophy that these guys have of uh, the Second Amendment is a uh, human right sort of thing. Absolutely. This is a game changer. Like This is literally like, this is as big as Bitcoin. I mean, yeah, Bitcoin change the landscape of finance and the relationship between monetary value and government. And this is now their control over force. I mean, when the governments have complete control on firearms, they control force. And now putting it back into the hands of the people is a complete game changer. This is amazing. It's funny you say that because I've actually spoken to a couple of guys and that's kind of my thought process as well of it's at least decentralizing self-defense and So like I said, you know, something like that 3011 or a Glock, you still kind of need to be in America to get your parts. So those don't really excite me quite as much as something like what's that's called the FGC nine. And it stands for fuck gun control nine millimeter. (laughs) And like I said, the guy who designed it was in Europe and he was doing it completely illegally. And yeah, so the goal is to bring this to the masses around the world. And their slogan is called can't stop the signal. So it's, you can make any law you want on this, but it's too late. It's already in the masses. They say gun control is dead. Obviously, if you want to be a legal abiding citizen, then, you know, you got to do what you got to do. But the idea is, it's funny, I'll I'll go back to the original guy who came up with the first 3D printed gun. His name is Cody Wilson. He designed what's, it was back in 2013. It was called the Liberator and it was a single shot pistol and it actually really sucks. I do not recommend anybody print and shoot. That one can explode on you, but it was all about marketing for him. And his goal was he called it the Liberator because there was either Operation Liberator or Operation Liberation. I can't remember the name during World War II, where we dropped single shot pistols over either Germany or Japan. I can't recall. And the goal was to make it so that the government was afraid of any random citizen. They might have a gun. And Cody Wilson said, my goal is to make the governments of the world have that fear. So that's kind of, yeah, I agree completely. That's why I'm so excited about this. I figure I'm already 3D printing. I might as well kind of dive in headfirst into this because I said the same thing. I think it's like decentralizing self-defense. 
Oh yeah, that's amazing. My listeners know I'm very hardcore libertarian, and like I want people to understand. Same. Like, uh, I mean, I don't know how much we want to get into this, but legal and law does not have anything to do with morals and values. I mean, they can create a law about literally anything out there in the world, and they do. I mean, you can read books on it about federal laws, and the regular person has break something like three federal laws a day without even realizing it. For me, law should be based around don't hurt people and don't take their shit. That's what we need to base laws around. And that's something that I can get behind. I mean, being able to defend yourself, I don't think that that is a bad thing. Actually, I think that's personal responsibility. And I mean, I'm a husband and a father. I think that that's my responsibility that I should be able to defend my family. I don't think that another organization should have the exclusive right to be able to hold weapons. I think that that's ridiculous. So take from that what you will, but I think that 3D printing guns is super exciting. And like, I think it's a complete game changer. I can really see it going the direction of Bitcoin and people getting behind it. How is the community with 3D printing guns? They have like a really strong community, like in the crypto space. Yeah. And, you know, I'm so in the weeds now. I feel like it's hard for me to comprehend. We're still at the very beginning stages of this where, you know, literally that ECM barrel was only thought of, I think, 2018 or 2019. So we're still very beginning in this. And the community is really great. There's some infighting, obviously, and, you know, libertarians infight, everybody infights. It's a really great community. I suggest everybody check out this guy named Control Pew. He's one of the main guys. He has a Twitter Control Pew. I I think it's at Control View. That deterrence dispense community is the one I'm personally part of. There's also Are We Cool Yet, which is two completely different groups designing their own guns. But yeah, I think they're great guys. It's funny. I hadn't made any new friends. Most of my friends are from high school. I have a really close knit of friends. And then I got into this community. Now I have a couple dozen new friends. So they're really cool guys. I really like hanging out with them. It's a great group of people. And I just want to also say that since we're so new on this, I like to think you know, there's new designs coming out literally every week. I mean, when I first got into this about a year and a half ago, there was maybe a dozen to two dozen designs. Now there's dozens and dozens of designs, more and more people getting aware, joining, oh, I want to join the beta. I want to learn how to design. And, you know, a lot of these guys have no designing background. They learned how to design because they wanted to design guns. So as this community grows, as 3D printing gets easier and cheaper, more materials, I think that It'll be really exciting where we will be in five to 10 years from now, because like I said, that 100% 3D printed gun, most of them are not very reliable, but there's a guy, it's a funny username, his username is Suckboy Tony. you guys should check him out, but he is working on a 100% 3D printed gun that uses, he makes his own caseless ammo and he electrically ignites it. So, and it's, it uses black powder, which burns slower than gunpowder so that a 3D printed part can handle the pressure. And so he's, you could see it, he's designed this crazy electrically ignited gun that is working right now. And so I can only imagine another year of development on that and it'll make this even more accessible to the average person around the world. Yeah, because I mean, I've been, okay, I've known about 3D printing guns for five years. I mean, I don't have one. I've never used one. I've thought about it a couple of times, but I was like, you know, what do I care about making a little doodad or a knickknack or something like that? And then probably a year or two ago, I started learning about or hearing about 3D printed guns. And I was like, damn, okay, interesting. But now it's like over the last, really the last two years and what's happened in the world, 
it just really shows you. And like, I mean, I just went out in Panama and got my license, a license to own a gun and my concealed carry license for a SIG 365X and down here in Panama, which as an expat, as someone living overseas, getting a firearms license is insanely difficult. So it's just wild to think about how fast things are moving. I mean, because I think I saw some of those videos that you mentioned about the one shot guns and they were really like, look pretty dodgy. Like I probably wouldn't want to fire those. I, I like having 10 fingers. Yeah, yeah. But then you see some of the videos now and you're like, that's crazy. Like that looks like what I play with at the range. So I can only think a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, as more power just slips through the fingers of the government, the whole world will be completely new. I know that so many people have such a dark future in their head of what's happening in the world, but there's things like 3D printing guns, cryptocurrency, seasteading and, and other organizations where people are organizing themselves, where we can have a lot more control and freedom over our own lives. Yeah. And, you know, this community is growing very fast just from, it's one of those things where once somebody hears about it, they go, oh, that's cool. There are obviously what are called in our community boomer fuds, which are where they just go, oh, I don't want my plastic gun. I want my real gun. But a majority of people, when they hear about this, they go, oh, wow, you can do that. So for instance, there's this YouTube channel called Print, Shoot, Repeat. And he started his channel a little over a year ago. And all he does is 3D print guns and shoot them. And he's already at like 250,000 subscribers. <laughs> so there's so clearly a market for this. And people, once they hear about it, oh, they think it's so cool. And then they, now there's more developers. Now there's more people coming up with new gun designs. And, you know, like I said, it's so early on, the main guy, Control Pew, who I was telling you about, I think he has like 50,000 or 60,000 followers on his social media, which in the scheme of things is very little when you're like the leader of a movement like this, or I mean, he might, he probably doesn't call himself a leader, but that makes me think I'm like, oh, this guy should have millions of followers. So we're still very early on. And once more and more people hear about it from people like Print Shoot Repeat, or maybe myself, it will yeah, continue to grow and more minds thinking on the same problem will come up with more and more solutions. And yeah, I'm very excited to see where we're at in five years. It might be completely different and the FTC nine might be archaic by then. So, well, it's one of those ideas that kind of sticks in your brain and just kind of like grows. I mean, there's just certain things and concepts that just grow. So I can understand people really getting behind this and becoming obsessed with it and building their lives and, you know, with the community and all of these things and the low barrier to entry, like we already talked about, this just has the momentum just to go wildfire. Like, I mean, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Like, I just can't believe that the government will ever be able to control this. It's over for them. I mean, they're on the way out. That's why they say they say gun control is dead. And I mean, people say, oh, they're going to regulate 3D printers. And I'm like, how? I mean, the, like I said, my buddy, I, I probably could. I just need to learn some firmware stuff. But you could build a 3D printer with some parts you buy at Home Depot. There's only like one unique part on it, which is the extruder hot end, everything else is you could take apart a CNC machine and then just put on that one part and you got a 3D printer. It's really one of those, like I say, can't stop the signal. You cannot stop this. It's already out. You know, you can make laws on anything you want. I mean, like we're saying, you can make Bitcoin illegal, but it doesn't mean that you're going to make it disappear. So absolutely. All right. Let's circle back because we talked about the cost of the machine, cost of the goods and everything like that. We have two examples of firearms behind you that you showed us. What would the price point be to build one of those, like raw materials for compared to what you had to purchase, et cetera, et cetera? 
Yeah. So, and I have more above me, but I need my ladder to get them. But the basic one, so this, this requires all the parts for a 1911 minus the lower. So these types of guns, like if you build a Glock or you're not going to be saving much money. So like, for instance, this, I paid $450 for these 1911 parts, you know, a 1911 you could get for probably five or 600 bucks. So you're not really saving much money. And the same with Glock kits, you know, you probably spend $300 for a Glock kit. So you're really not saving a ton of money. That's not really the point of these. The point of these is just to, you have a lower that's not registered. Now, something like this, the FGC9, the hybrid design, you know, the basic parts are not a lot. It's, you know, the barrel and the bolt. So getting, buying the parts and the stuff to ECM rifle is, you're probably at like 150 bucks. It's really not a lot. It's just, that requires skill to be able to, to do it properly. Me, I bought this kit. Like I said, I bought the barrel and the bolts, and I spent $250 for it. So plus the AR-15 control group, which is like 40 bucks, I probably spent under $300 for everything on this. Yeah, so there is still price that you got to think about, but then you think of something like what Suckboy Tony is doing, and he uses about two kilograms of material. So that's 40 something dollars of material. Then the rest of his parts are like $30, $40. It's all Home Depot parts. So, you know, it depends. Depends on the gun, anywhere from probably $100 in the very low end up to, I mean, there's these guys building guns that the kits alone are $1,500. So it really depends, but I would say $100 in the very low end in parts. Okay. Yeah. I don't ask it in a way like, hey, is this a good way to save money? Like that, I don't care about whatsoever. What I care about most actually more than anything is the philosophical around this. But what I want to try to show is that the costs here are not prohibitive for someone to get involved. If someone wants to do this, if they want to take it on a hobby, if they want to understand these things, they can actually experiment and play with this. Once again, following the local laws of your country, I'm not trying to get anyone here in trouble. I don't agree with a lot of the laws, but I'm still going to follow just because I respect my freedom very much. The whole point is more freedom, not less freedom. But, you know, with that disclaimer out of the way, I mean, go and try this. Like, this is insane. Yeah, it really is. The printer is probably one of the cheapest parts of this. $150. Like I said, you could get a maybe a cheap kit for that. But anybody who's into guns knows guns. Unless you're buying a cheap shotgun, most guns cost $500 plus by themselves. So guns by themselves are kind of an expensive hobby. So it's kind of hard to avoid that. But these guys are trying to, like I said, their goal is to make it as cheap and as accessible as possible so that somebody who has a military overtake of their tribes are able to defend themselves. That's at least the point of this mission. Definitely. All right. Talk to me on the time frame to... Build one of these, like say, all right, you get your kit, you have your materials, all like that's out of the way. You've got your plans to sit down and actually build time frame. What would it actually take to create one of these? So are you talking about the print time? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, that very varies quite drastic on the design you're printing. So a Glock lower doing is probably about 12 hours, depending on to print the part. But something like this, as you can tell, this has a lot of printed parts on it. They're all dense. They're all 100% filled with plastic. If you only have one printer, this will actually take about a week and a half to print all of the parts. So I assume that you print them piece by piece and then assemble it. Yeah, you can see how they're sectioned up so that each one of these parts will fit on that Ender 3 printer. Okay, so explain to me then... Once again, completely noob question, but you set the printer and then you have to sit there and monitor it or you set it and then you go to bed and you come back and 12 hours later and it, the piece is done. 
Yeah. So it is weird at first to leave it unmonitored, but obviously I do that. You really only need to watch the first layer because the first layer is the most important. You want to make sure it's sticking to the build plate properly because if it's not sticking to the build plate properly, you're going to have a failure no matter what. And it could leave you with needing to replace parts or have a bunch of clumped up plastic you need to clean off. So you need to watch the first layer when it prints. And once the first layer is down and I have a printer going over there in the corner. I'm not, I'm not watching it at all. So <laughs> it's quiet. We're recording right now and I didn't even hear it. Yeah. So the first generation Ender 3, the $150 one is a little bit noisier, but the newer Ender 3s and newer printers, they have what are called silent drivers and they're a lot quieter than the original ones. You could sleep with them in the same room though. I wouldn't prefer to do that, but yeah, you press print, you watch the first layer and then you come back in 12 hours with it done. And there's also, there's a little bit of cleanup. It's called support material, which is like scaffolding for 3D printing because a 3D printer can't print in midair. So it needs like a little bit of scaffolding to allow it to print certain angles. So that you need to clean off with pliers after you're done printing, it breaks off. Yeah. And then when it actually comes to building the gun, it depends on the gun. A Glock, the first time you'll build it, if you don't know how a Glock works, it might take you an hour or two because... You have to watch YouTube video. You could just watch. It's the same as putting a regular Glock together. You got to watch some videos. And once you know how it works, you can put one together in 20 minutes, 15 minutes. Then something like the FGC9, that will take a bit longer. It probably still takes me a couple hours to put one together. So, And I can kind of guess or imagine you could probably have two or three printers going at the same time, printing different pieces so that it wouldn't take a week. If you knew what you were doing, you could have different machines doing different pieces, right? Yeah. The uh, only issue is not overloading your circuit. I can run about four printers on one circuit at a time. So, you know, I'm lucky I get printers to review off camera. I have about 16 printers behind me right now. I'm using the spare bedroom circuit and circuit. So, but I can't run more than eight of them at one time with the two circuits. So yes, that's exactly what I do and did for my FGC nine. So I say a week and a half with one printer, but for me, it was like two days because I just spread it up across a bunch of printers you know the only issue is then that you'll probably need more spools of filament than you'll actually use because you have to have a spool for each printer that's printing what about the power requirements i mean you touched on a little bit about what you can't do what does it cost to run these like are they absolute power hogs no i mean like i said you can run four of them on a circuit and you could probably only run one and a half blow dryers on a circuit so if i'm not mistaken i mean hair dryers use a lot of electricity. So it's hard for me to say, so I live in Texas and Texas electricity is pretty cheap. The air conditioning is definitely using more than my printers, but you know, my electricity bill, I've run printers all nonstop and have AC blasting. My electricity bill is like $120 a month. (laughs) Nice. So it is cheap in Texas, but in California where I came from, probably double or triple that. So yeah. And that's if you get consistent electricity at all. Like, don't they have rolling brownouts there? Yeah. Yeah. Especially I was living in Riverside the last year I was in California and the others, yeah, the fires are ridiculous there. Well, I like to make fun of California because I live down here in Panama city and I'm like, Oh, thank God. I live in Panama, a third world country where we actually have electricity (laughs) in California. It's like, Oh, electricity went out again, went out again, went out again. It's like, Oh, sorry guys. They made fun of us because we had some blackouts during a once in a lifetime freeze last year. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. And it was like, so this is the first time any of us have power issues in 40 years. You have power issues every year. But yeah, it's uh, luckily that was a once in a once in a literally a lifetime storm. And I think they fixed it all from there. So. All right. So talk to me then. I hear this term ghost guns everywhere. 
you hear it thrown around by mainstream media and painting people in a very bad brush. Talk to me about ghost guns or what this is. Yeah, so ghost gun is just any gun that does not have a serial number. Well, so it's a made-up term. So it's I don't want to use their terms and and help them. But anyway, it's supposed to be any gun that doesn't have a serial number. And that includes people who take their serialized gun and scratch it out. So when you see like crime statistics of ghost guns, a lot of those are people who literally scratched out the serial number on a regular firearm. So that includes 3D printed guns, people who scratched out their a serial number and those who do what's called a P80 kit. And that's actually what the recent law was trying to restrict. A P80 kit is they give you everything you need to build your Glock, for instance, but the lower, the serialized portion has a few holes that aren't drilled out. And that makes it not a firearm under the law or under the previous law, not a firearm because, and then you build the firearm yourself by drilling out those holes. And that's all you need to do. And then it's the firearm that you built that's unserialized. That's what the Biden administration was going after recently were the P80 kits. But yeah, it's kind of a silly term, especially because crimes are almost never solved from the serial number of a gun. First of all, you have to have find the gun on the crime scene. That's number one. And number two, so my serialized gun, if I sell it to a friend, that doesn't need to be reported or anything, or if I give it to a friend, it doesn't need to be reported or anything. They could give it to somebody else that doesn't need to be reported or anything. So the only thing the serial number does is tell you who bought the gun first. And then on top of that, so many crimes are committed by stolen guns. So it'd be like, oh yeah, I bought it, but it was stolen from me. And then on top of that, any gun made before it's like 1968 or something like that wasn't required to have serial numbers. So you know, there's literally probably 100 million plus guns that were made before 1968 in private citizens' hands that aren't serialized anyway. So yeah, it's kind of a silly made up term, but it refers to any gun that doesn't have a serial number, which more than half my guns don't have now. So yeah. And like you covered at the beginning of the interview, I mean, it's completely legal where you live that you're building it for yourself. You're not selling them. You're not giving them away. You're building them for your own use to go shoot on private property at your buddy's place and at the range. I mean, it makes sense to me. Yeah, it's completely legal. They just, that's what I was saying. It's always been legal to make your own firearm in America, always. And they came up with this term ghost gun to make it sound scary and now to implement laws on something that's existed for 250 years. So, yeah. So it, this didn't come with the advent of 3D printers. Actually, unserialed guns have actually been part of the history forever. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we probably, I don't know. We might still be British if we didn't make our own guns. So it really has been since our founding. And the only thing that's different about 3D printing guns is the tool. I mean, you know, it was a lot harder to make your own gun. Now the tool of 3D printing has made it easier to do that. I mean, people have been making, you know, slam shotguns. You can make a $50 pipe shotgun from just Home Depot parts. People have been doing that forever. You just take two tubes and you slam them together and fire the shotgun. All right. Tell me. Did I miss anything, anything that you think that people should know or understand about 3D printers and specifically on the 3D printing gun side of things, if they want to get into this as a hobby or or learn about it or start to explore it? Yeah, the best place to go is the complete guide to getting started by Control Pube. So if you just search, I can't remember the exact URL, but if it's just guide to getting started, Control CTRL. Control Pew, any variation of that will probably pop up on Google search. And he tries to go step by step. This is exactly what you need to do if you want to print your own firearms. 
And obviously I need to show for myself is the book, 3D Printing Failures. He sells it to, he, he advertises on his website as well. This is really in the weeds if you want to make sure every single part is uh, working well. But you obviously don't need it. You can find all, basically all the information that's in here, you can find through various YouTube videos and going to Control P's website. And this is just trying to make it all in one easy to package thing. But yeah, Guide to Getting Started by Control Pew. That's the place everybody suggests to go if you'd like to get into the hobby. And even if you don't want to print guns and you just want to 3D print, it's not specific to 3D printed guns. It really just helps you. Yeah, this is the direction I took the conversation because like I said, I think it's fascinating. But I, I do understand that there's tons of other reasons. I remember reading articles about space exploration and about on the ISS or colonizing the moon or going to Mars and how this was going to change things so that instead of having to send every single piece that needs to be done for technology to the space station or, or to any of these places, they could just 3D print them now. And I thought, wow, that's incredible. Like that's super exciting. Yeah. And actually zero gravity makes these FDM printers easier because like I was saying, the support structure, so it sticks to the build plate. So it doesn't matter if there's gravity or not, it's going to be stuck to the build plate, but like the scaffolding isn't really needed anymore because there's no gravity pulling the plastic down. So it actually is even, should be easier to use in space than down here. Cool. Now, any recommendations on a good printer where someone wants to get into this that's going to, they're not going to outgrow it like in a month or two, something decent level, not just the bottom of the barrel? Yeah. So I do actually suggest to people to check out Ender 3s and Ender 5s. Those are the cheap ones, just because it really does let you know if this is a hobby you like without too much money. But there is a little bit of a gap in the market right now for a perfect printer. That is around $600, which I think should be completely doable because I could build my perfect printer for under $600. It's just kind of a gap in the market. I would suggest checking out, it's a new printer called the Ender 3 S1. These are all weird names, but Creality is like the biggest printing company. The Creality Ender 3 S1 has a lot of the upgrades that you would be doing to your standard Ender 3 and it costs like $430. It's pretty good. I do like it. And then the other popular brand is called a Prusa, P-R-U-S-A. They're very well respected in the community. They're more expensive, but they actually have customer support, unlike Creality. So if you have an issue on your $200 printer, you got to have to read some forums. You're going to have to buy my book. But if you have an issue with the Prusa, their customer support will get back to you and help you through it. But you're going to be spending $750 to $1,000 for one of those. Fantastic. So we'll make sure that we have the links for all of these at expatmoneyshow.com under Sean's episode. Sean, if people want to find out more about what you do, if they want to get a hold of you, where can we send them? Yeah. 3D Print General on YouTube or the 3D Print General on YouTube. That's the best place. And then on Twitter at 3D Print General, I'm on Twitter far too often. So I'm sure if you tweet at me, I will see it. And yeah, those are probably the two main spots. Nice one. Thanks so much for your time. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Mikhail. Okay, I hope you guys enjoyed today's interview. I sure had a ton of fun recording it. Before you guys go, I want you to check out a newsletter that I'm just absolutely obsessed with right now. So my buddy Marco Wutzer was on the podcast for episode 137, and we talked about anything and everything to do with crypto. Now, 
I know quite a bit about crypto. I've been in the space for roughly five years now, and I've made a lot of money and I've lost a lot of money. And I really used to do these things on my own. I used to do my own analysis, my own research, et cetera, et cetera. But to tell you the truth, I don't have time for that. And I would have to spend all day long doing it. But when I met Marco, I really started diving into his work. And he runs a paid newsletter called Project Serenity. You guys can find out more about it at expatmoneyshow.com forward slash crypto. The newsletter is excellent. He discusses different projects. He has buy alerts, sell alerts. He shows you what they entered into a position at, what it should be sold at. And the response has been amazing and his track record has been phenomenal. So I want you guys to check it out. If you have experience in crypto, if you are trading, if you maybe are not trading yet, but you really want to trade, then these are the projects that you might want to get involved in, okay? It's it's not a how-to course by any means. It's an investment newsletter. It's con done completely digital, but the product is fantastic and everyone who's signed up has had a fantastic result with it. So all you need to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash crypto, and we will see you next Wednesday on the podcast. Enjoy your day. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.